feel like dancing. Uh, welcome into College Football Live. I'm Victoria Arlen alongside Tom Luganville and Sam Acho. Happy Monday. Let's get right to it, fellas. After that intro, the Pac-12 Media Day was Friday, and this is our first show since then. And a big name that was not present at Media Day was, of course, Colorado coach Dion Sanders, who is currently recovering from leg surgery. Of course, we send him our best for a speedy recovery. Now, Coach Prime, there's a lot of excitement and buzz around Coach Prime's debut this fall. And the clock, of course, is ticking before kickoff. The Buffs open things up September 2nd against TCU. But before we break down the squad, let's talk about Coach Prime, shall we? Because his his accomplishments are pretty impressive. He posted a 26-6 record during his three seasons at Jackson State, and Coach Prime led the Tigers to back-to-back -back SWAC Conference Championships and won the 2021 Ed Robinson Award presented to College Football's FCS Coach of the Year. Now, fellas, will Coach Prime live up to the hype? Tom, I'm going to start with you. Yes, I think he will, but I don't know how quickly it's going to happen. I think that's what's the most fascinating part of this whole experiment is with the rules and how they're played out now, you have the opportunity within the first calendar year to go through and gut your roster if you don't like what you inherited. He clearly is taking full advantage of the world that we're living in right now. And he brought over some really nice pieces of the puzzle. I don't think he has enough of them yet, but I think from a coaching perspective, he had to have known what he was getting into with the – Colorado administration in terms of some of the constraints that they knew they could not continue to deal with if they wanted to win in major college football. So they lessened the standards. They're allowing more transfer opportunities and they're completely overhauling this thing. The question is, it's not, will it work, Sam? Or, you know, is it going to be, let's win six in the first year? It's how long it's going to take to turn over the entire roster. Yeah, everywhere Deion Sanders has gone, he's won. And so sooner or later you say, what's the ingredient that leads to winning? It's Deion Sanders. So I do think that he'll have success. And I think he'll have success early on. Now, obviously, every team's going to want to give Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes their best. But I think that he'll be ready for all of that opportunity. Number one, he brought in his son, Shador Sanders, dynamic quarterback. We talked about it, the 26-6 and record last year, or the last few years since 2020. But also Travis Hunter. Remember, he was the number one recruit in the world, in the nation a few years back, and he brought him from Jackson State as well. And so sometimes all you need is that one, two, maybe even three pieces to help turn a program around. All right, let's talk about those two players that followed Coach Prime from Jackson State. We had QB Shador Sanders, of course, Deion Sanders' son, and wide receiver Travis Hunter hoping to help Coach Prime right the ship and have a winning season. Now, of course, can that be done? We shall see because that is, you know, not necessarily been the case here. Now, what are we going to be seeing on the field this season, Tom? Well, you mentioned Travis Hunter, who I think will be a two-way starter and contribute um, in the kicking game. They're going to have Cormani McLean, who was a top 15 overall player for us in the ESPN 300 last year. Their two corners will be able to play with anybody in America. The quarterback, Shadur Sanders, was a Power 5 player when he decided to follow his father to, to Jackson State. That's not where the problem lies, though. The problem lies 
And where are the other pieces to fill the gaps, particularly up front on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively? And I've played at the Power 5 level as a starter, and I've played at the FCS level as a starter. And there is a dramatic difference talent-wise, not so much with the skill, but with the upfront people. So my question is, how do you keep Shador Sanders upright? All right, are you able to run the football? Are you able to effectively move the football with what you have from the inside out in this roster? I think their skill is going to be improved. In fact, their running back room is a really good room. They've got four running backs that have all been starters at other, at other uh, teams. So I think that part of it's fine. It's up front on both sides of the ball. It's troublesome for me. And even more so, Tom, it's not just up front on both sides of the ball. It's the depth up front on both sides of the ball. I think about this. Think about some of the schools like Texas, right? Texas is going to the SEC. But even before they went to the SEC a few years back, they played Arkansas in Arkansas. And Arkansas ran for 333 yards on Texas. My point is that they didn't have the depth they needed for SEC football. And so even in this example, you're bringing in a lot of skill players, which we've seen. But depth matters. And especially when it comes to your offensive line and defensive line. played defensive end, really defensive tackle of 4i in college. And so you have to have guys, and I was about 250, 260, right? Like, I wasn't the biggest, fastest, strongest, whatever. You need depth, especially when you play teams like Oregon, who's going to want to run the ball. Teams like Utah, who's going to want to run the ball. That's where it's going to get a little bit dicey. Yeah, it it is. And, you know, you you look at this team from just from a defensive perspective, down the middle of that defense. This is a team that the last six games – Gave up 42, 42, 49, 54, 53, and 63 points in six consecutive weeks. And so there's nowhere to go but up. The incoming transfers, I think, will help. My question is, are the other transfers that aren't at the Power 5 level talent-wise, guys that have come over from the FCS, guys that have come over from the group of five, are they going to be dramatically better than any one of the 63 players that went out the door? Well, that's the truth, Tom. And the thing is, all those stats from last year, all those points, 50, 40, 30, right? You can throw those out the window. <laughs> why? Because this is why you brought – let me tell you why. Remember when Deion Sanders came? He said, I'm coming, and I'm bringing my baggage with me, and it's Louie. A lot of people left yep. the program, and now new people, new transfers come came in. What does that mean? It means you're building mm-hmm. a new culture. You talked about it. We're not going to – he's not going to allow the mediocrity that was Colorado over the last few years. And so I think those stats from last year – Everyone in that locker room is coming and saying, hey, we are a new team. We have a new coach. There are new players. There's going to be new products and new outcomes from what we saw last year. So I think it'll be much improved from those statistics that we saw in years past. I think we keep that quote. He's bringing his baggage, and it is Louie. It can only go up from here. They finished 1-11 last season. So, look, it can only go up from here. You can't go wrong with that kind of baggage. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Last year, USC was able to turn a roster full of transfers into a run at the Pac-12 title. We'll discuss if Colorado can follow the Trojan blueprint to success in the conference. And the Bruins are off to the Big Ten, but not until next year. What should we expect from Chip Kelly's squad in their final season out west? Last year, Lincoln Riley was able to take a transfer portal-filled roster and turn it into an 11-1 finish in a Pac-12 title game appearance. This came just one season after finishing 4-8 and missing bowl eligibility for the second time in three seasons. 
Now, with all that being said, of course, Lincoln Riley has Caleb Williams and company, but is it possible to be able to compare the two teams? Which leads me to ask, can Colorado find success through the portal like USC Sam? I do, Victoria. I do think there's a path for Colorado to find success through the portal. Last year, we saw USC lose over, really add over 40 new players from the transfer portal, and they saw a lot of success. Now, mind you, a lot of that was on the defensive side of the ball with the turnovers, but also a lot of it was their quarterback and Caleb Williams. So going to the defensive side of the ball, Colorado's defensive front was one of the worst, if not the worst, in all of college football. All those players are gone. And then fast forward, you get new defensive players in, a couple five-star players, a couple transfer players in. That's a huge improvement and then quarterback play once again the reason USC was so successful was because of Caleb Williams outstanding play now with Shadour Caleb is Shadour Sanders Caleb Williams you can't say that just yet but I think it's a significant increase from what you saw last year so there is a pathway forward and I think USC paved the way you hit on two important things. Number one, nobody is Caleb Williams, all right? <laughs> Number two, uh, <laughs> USC was clearly was clearly aided by a plus 22 turnover margin that helped mask a lot of the other issues, most of them on defense that that team had. You combine that and you combine the quarterback and poof, you have an 11-3 and season. Let's not forget that SC's roster, although it was 4-8, and eight, was vastly more talented than Colorado's roster and the one that Deion Sanders has uh, inherited. So I do think it's possible, but I also think it might take a little bit longer. I think there's got to be proof of improvement coming in wins early so that the transfer portal player that's a really, really good player, the, the Jordan Addison, the Caleb Williams, whoever they, the Dayson McCullough that went to, to Oklahoma, that they now start considering Colorado as a destination instead of SC or instead of Alabama or instead of Ohio State. And that just might take a little bit longer because Colorado ain't SC. All right, Caesar Sportsbook set the Buffalo's win total at over under three and a half regular season wins. But the question is where can Colorado get wins? Sam, I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to start with what I wrote down. I got a sheet of the <laughs> schedule. I'm looking, okay, I got some wins. I got some losses. So here, what is up in the air? So TCU, you we don't know what TCU is going to look like this year. We do not know what TCU is going to look like. So I'm, I'm not going to call that a win, but Nebraska, winnable game. Colorado State, week three, winnable game. Go to Arizona State. They've been proved, but Arizona State has struggled in the years past. Winnable game. Stanford, new coach, new system, another winnable game. And lastly, U of A. That's another game you can win. So I just named out one, two, three, four, Potentially five games that Colorado can win. Mind you, Oregon, USC, UCLA, even Oregon State, they might struggle. Washington State, I think they'll struggle. But there are definitely winnable games in there, even if you don't include the TCU, which there are a lot of question marks at week one. I see two potential gimmies, and I don't even know if I want to use that term, and that would be Stanford and Colorado State. Now, I agree with you to some degree on a team like Arizona State, but I think Arizona State's more talented. I believe that Colorado would have to play out of their mind, and Arizona State would probably have to help them. I think more importantly, and what's really even more alarming, is what the conference did to them on the road. I mean, those yeah. road games are brutal in this Ooh. conference for a team that's trying to rebuild. I mean, you're at Oregon, at UCLA, at Washington State. It's never fun to go to Pullman in late November. All right, you're at Utah. They're probably going to be rolling, and they're so physical. Um, to me, that's just – and at TCU, is going to be a raucous environment over a team that made the college football playoffs. So, uh, this one, I would take the under and feel confident about it.
Yeah, that schedule was just not nice. Not nice at all, but who knows? <laughs> we never know. We just never know. We're going to have a little hope for, uh, for Colorado, and we're going to take a break having that hope. You know, we'll see what happens. All right. It's not just the Power 5 teams dealing with realignment. When we come back, we'll discuss the shuffling of teams in the group of five. UCLA is in their last year in the Pac-12, and before they join the Big Ten next year, that, of course, brings out a lot of emotions for players and coaches alike. Now, UCLA head coach Chip Kelly spoke Friday at Media Day, and we asked if there was anything he was going to miss. Take a listen. There's a lot I'm going to miss, but I'll reminisce on that after because we're not leaving right now. So, you know, our sole focus and attention is on this season. Um, I think the league is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, I know everybody has talked about that today, so... Um, but I, I'm very sentimental when it comes to my feelings about the Pac-12. UCLA has one more season to try and capture the Pac-12 title for the first time since 1988. Now, what should we expect from Chip Kelly's squad this year, Tom? Well, I think they're going to be really good on defense. Uh, nine starters back. A ton of two-deep production is back. And then for the offense, you know, you lose a lot of production, obviously, with DTR and Zach Charbonnet, but they did a really good job replacing those components through the transfer portal and through high school recruiting. So, you know, Carson Steele coming over from Ball State, he fits the power run game of Chip Kelly's offense. Colin Schley comes over, gives him quarterback depth. And then, obviously, the big name is Dante Moore, who a lot of people feel will start for them at quarterback. Now, as talented as he is, I think that, you know, Chip Kelly knows as well as anybody that, uh, you know, you play a freshman quarterback, they're going to play like a freshman sometimes. And for every bright spot, you might end up having some, some boneheaded type of plays. But he is extremely talented. It was a late take and steal from Oregon within the conference. So I look at them. I look at their schedule. I think their preseason was somewhere around eight and a half. On this roster right now, as far as win total, I, I kind of want to take the over, but then I look at the schedule. I look at a freshman quarterback if he plays a lot. Maybe they're a little bit more in the 8-4 and four range, but this is going to be a team that I think has been a slow burn build for Chip Kelly into a very, very successful program. And I'm with you, Tom, as far as the defense goes, right? Returning so many starters, a couple All-Americans that are returning, at least preseason All-Americans. But offensively, it wasn't that you just lost your quarterback in DTR and Zach Charbonnet, your star running back, but you had two offensive linemen drafted as well, right? John Gaines being one of them. And so mm -hmm. the, the, the stars that you got that left your program are all on the offensive side of the ball. You saw four guys get drafted. So a team that wants to run the ball, New quarterback, new running back, two new offensive linemen. That's where my questions reside. What will this offense look like? What will the running game look like without with the new offensive line and without Zach Charbonnet? Now, I want to kind of talk about their traveling. Now, I want you guys to take a look at this because UCLA is going to be <laughs> racking up the frequent flyer miles next season. They open up the season at Hawaii. Then they're going to head to Baton Rouge. So we're going to we're going to pull up a video for you all to see, okay? So we're going to we're going to like talk talk about like their their traveling schedule and how the <laughs> impact is going to to happen because not to mention they're going to have road games in Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Rutgers. What kind of impact does that have where they're going to be all over the country? So Sam, I'm going to start with you. 
Well, I think about that, Victoria. One, I wish that the players could use their frequent flyer miles so they could have, like, executive miles. platinum and, like, all the things. Like, that's what needs to happen. Because when I played, they didn't let me use the miles. I said, hey, can I use the miles? <laughs> like, So that needs to happen, number one. Number two, I understand we talk about all this travel and sleep schedule, all that stuff. These guys, not that they're quote-unquote pros, but they recover like pros. They're, they're going to have Normatex and things on planes to keep your legs fresh. You're going to travel later earlier change your practice schedule right if you're three hours ahead you might practice three hours later than you usually do and so i'm not as concerned about the travel per se i think the team will be ready i'm more concerned about the players getting their frequent flyer miles they can be like super high status on their airlines <laughs> if i'm just that. being honest I was, mad, I was mad about that when i played i was mad about that when i played i'd be mad about that yeah dude it's we're in the era of NIL. You can't just put your name on a tick and get some miles. I mean, that's the least we can do for these for these guys, especially if you're SC or UCLA, man. I mean, holy smokes. Um, yeah, I, I do think the time change could be somewhat significant. Mm -hmm. I remember several years back, Sam, I don't know if you remember this, when Stanford had to go play um, Northwestern, and it was like 8 or 9 in the morning uh, Pacific time, and they lost to that Northwestern team. And so, you know, how you do your practice schedule in the mornings, um, how you adjust, you go out a day early when you're traveling. I think there, there's a lot of those components that we just don't know yet. And then, oh, oh, by the way, add in some bad weather, right? Add in some cold climate, especially yes. if you catch some teams uh, late in November. I mean, when SC and UC what if SC and UCLA get Madison and Minnesota in late November? Yeah, and you think about travel delays, you think about weather, all of the above. There's so many factors when it comes to flying that could, could impact. And Sam, of course, the frequent flyer miles. You just never know. Frequent there's, flyer miles. There's so many things. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Realignment has affected all levels of college football. The American Conference will look very different this season as Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are all off to the Big 12. They are being replaced by six teams, all formerly of Conference USA, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. 2021, it was Cincy making the CFP. Last year, it was Tulane shocking USC in the Cotton Bowl. The American Conference never is short on excitement with six new additions. There is sure to be more excitement this year. Sam, what interests you about the American this year? I'm most excited, Victoria, about UTSA and them coming from Conference USA to the American. Why am I excited? Number one, Jeff, Jeff Trailer, their coach, is one of the most decorated coaches in all of Texas high school football history. There's a stadium named after him. Well, then he left that high school. He coached at places like Texas, but also he went to UTSA and has turned that program around. But what did he do to turn it around? He brought in people like Rashad Wisdom, who wears number zero on defense, a dominant football player. Frank Harris, he was already there in the program, but he's been healthy. That's been another dominant force on the offensive side of the ball. And so I look at the players that I've seen be successful at the college level under Jeff Trailer at UTSA. He's been recruiting players, telling them we're going to we're going to the Americans. So he's getting new talent. I'm excited to see what they do in this new conference with some of the new players, but also some of the remaining talent that's coming over. Well, I think what's also intriguing, Sam, is the trickle-down effect that this has. Okay, so the, A the AAC, the American, loses teams to the Big 12. They now got to replenish those teams. They go and they raid much of the Conference USA. Now what does Conference USA have to do? Well, they got, they've got to go down, and they got to go to the FCS level. But let me tell you what they've done. They chose two gems. They might have chose the next UTSA, and that's Sam Houston State. Casey Keeler is a national championship level coach at the FCS level, built two programs in Delaware as well as Sam Houston State. And then Jacksonville State, Rich Rod, right, goes 9-2 and two last year in a transition year, so they can't go 
to the playoffs. Now they move up to Conference USA. And oh, by the way, that conference just signed a television deal that's going to pay all those institutions around $800,000. Think about what television money can do for a prominent FCS program like Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State. I bet both of those teams within the next two to three years are going to be conference title contenders. Well, college football media days are going to be wrapping up this week. So the ACC kicks off tomorrow in Charlotte, and the Big Ten will begin July 26th in Indianapolis. And the remaining group of five media day coverage will wrap up by the 26th. There is a lot of excitement. And look, we're just getting started. There's so much more to come. And uh, hopefully, you know, you got my brain thinking about those frequent flyer miles, Sam. And now I'm thinking about all of that. But there is so much more to come. Media Days are continuing on. ACC Media Days get underway. And we'll be there for more of it tomorrow. College Football Live tomorrow, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. For Sam Macho and Tom Luganville, I'm Victoria Arland. Thanks for hanging. Get your frequent flyer miles.